0: Hmm. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. Today we're going to be covering chapter 9 of the book, Reincarnation. The title of the chapter is Spirits and Spiritual Manifestations. We'll be on pages 73 to 82 if you want to read along. The link to reading along is is in the description of the podcast. You can also find the link to read the book and the link to read other books of Restoration Theology. Let's begin. I saw Abraham when he came back from the earth and many of the noble ones. When they came back to be crowned, I saw them step upon the platform of the gods and receive their crowns and enter into their exaltations. Mosiah Hancock Journal, Visions of Messiah Hancock Addendum, page 3. What the Mormon religion calls spirit, the reincarnationalist calls soul, the entity that is life, is the life, the intelligence, and the immortal immortal part that leaves the body at death. The reincarnationalist L. S. Cooper wrote, quote, Upon going to sleep or at death, the aura is withdrawn from the physical body, and it is then possible to to study it by itself to see what it see what it is like. It has been found that it is a life-size duplicate or counterpart of the physical body. We appear exactly as we do here because of the counterpart of the physical body, and realize that our consciousness can use such a form much more easily than it can than it can a physical body. Reincar- and that's the end of the quote. Reincarnation: A Hope of the World by Cooper, page 36. This is identical to the brother of Jared's description of the spiritual body of Jesus Christ. Orson, Apostle Orson Pratt recounted, quote, well, that body, the body of the Lord that the brother of Jared saw was a personal body. It had fingers, a face, eyes, arms, hands, and all various parts which the human body has so much so that he thought it was really flesh and bones until he was corrected and found that it was the spirit of jesus that same spirit says jesus which in the the meridian of time should come and take a body and die for the sins of the world journal of discourses volume 19 page 316. When Jesus appeared to the brother of Jared he said quote behold this body which ye now behold is the body of my spirit ether chapter 3 verse 16 indicating that it had not that he had not received a physical or mortal body he had never he had not yet ever been born on an earth nor pa- nor passed through death or resurrection. Um, I just have to say that's his speculation because that's not what Jesus said. And I'll get to that in a minute. I'll just finish this quote. Uh, he even stated that all men were created in the beginning after my own image, verse 15 of Ether chapter three, showing that he and all mankind were first born as spirits without physical bodies and came into mortality to obtain one. Now, okay, he doesn't say he never had a mortal body. He simply did not have a mortal body at that time. It doesn't say whether he lived on a previous earth. that's that's pure speculation. The fact of the matter is that Jesus Christ didn't just become God because he was the firstborn. He became God because he had ascended to that level on previous earths and previous mortal morta- um, mort- multiple mortations, or mortations, multiple probations. Back in 2010, God revealed to me a secret. He said that unless you are exalted, you will be damned in the resurrection. And what he meant by that is people who are exalted receive progression upon progression, eternal lives. They continue to progress. But if you're not, if you are a resurrected celestial, but you're not the highest level of celestial, you're damned. And all that means is that you cannot progress. If you're resurrected in the celestial or the terrestrial bodies, you cannot progress. But God revealed to me the secret that that when the new earth is created, that John the Revelator speaks about in the book of Revelations, that you can put off, you can shoot, he gives the opportunity to put off our resurrection and go into another probation in mortality on another earth and to go through the experiences that we need to ascend and progress to become more like our father and mother in heaven. And Jesus had done this through eons of time where he had gone on earths and lived the experiences that he needed to live to attain the the title of a God. And being God the Redeemer, he had already become a God in his previous mortal, mor- mortal probation because he was God the Witness at one point. God the Witness, um, Joseph Smith taught Will, take a body and if you don't know God the witness is another term for the Holy Ghost see the Holy Ghost is a spiritual it's a spirit he is a spirit, has a spirit but he also requires a body in the millennium God the witness God the redeemer and God the father will all have physical resurrected bodies And Joseph Smith said that uh, that the Holy Ghost is yet in a state of probation if he should perform in righteousness should come and take a body as the Savior did. And that also um, he said something to the effect of um, he must go through the same, the Holy Ghost or God the Witness must go through the same or similar things that Jesus did. Immortality. And a lot of people think that when Joseph Smith said that he was in a state of probation, they just simply assumed that it was a state of mortal probation. But the first estate was a probation or, you know, it was like we were given a uh, choices and we, all of us who are here, we all made the choices that were necessary to progress to our second estate or... Our second probation one is a spiritual probation one is a physical probation now I don't want to get too much into the weeds in this but there's a lot of people that believe that Joseph Smith was the Holy Ghost yeah in DNC section 130 God tells Joseph Smith that the Holy Ghost at least at that time, was a body of spirit. He did not have a body of flesh and bones, but Joseph Smith had a body. And um, people want to throw that one out because William McClellan, I think, I might be getting this wrong, but whoever was the, the, um, the scribe for that revelation, they want to throw him out because of some other stuff. But they can't do that because Joseph Smith's last sermon, the Sermon at the Grove, Joseph Smith said the same thing and it came from his own lips. That God the witness was a spirit body. And Joseph Smith was a physical body. He had a physical body. Joseph Smith was an Elias for God the witness to come Joseph Smith laid the foundation for the redemption of Zion so that it could be built up when God the witness came to become the Davidic servant so when when Ogden Kraut and others want to speculate and say that that Jesus Christ didn't have a body before this point they just have only enough information to get to that point But there's more to it than that. The whole point of this Earth is to gain experiences to ascend. Whether we live in the huts of Africa or whether we live in the indigenous um, Americas you know, during times of of little to no technology except for maybe the bow and the arrow and the, the hammer and the axe. Oh, whether we live in the Bronze Age or whether we live in pre- prehistoric times, I guess, or antediluvian times, or whether we live in the age of modern technology or in the Industrial Revolution, every every part of this Earth has experiences and things to help you learn to grow and gain different experiences. Every single life. And every single experience has value, even the hard ones. When I spoke to Jesus Christ when we were sitting together in 2003, when I was taken up by the Father to Mount Vashel, we sat down and he told me something that was hard for me to hear. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for a very long time, Well, you may or may not know that I grew up in an extremely abusive home. There was alcohol and there was drugs and there was physical, mental, and sexual abuse. It was extremely difficult as a child for me. I lived with so many different people. Um, Before I was 18, I I had moved over a hundred times I'd lived in, uh, I think there was like 64 different homes. Um, now moving hundred times before you're 18 means you're moving an average of every four months and that was about right for me. And it was extremely difficult. There was neglect, there was physical and mental abuse. There was even some sexual abuse when I was younger. And there was homelessness. There was my own drug and alcohol addictions. And when I spoke to Jesus, he said, all these experiences that he allowed me to go through were for my own good, that I might become the servant of God that he needed me to be. Every experience, even the most difficult ones, are Experiences that we use to grow and to become more like God. And so when I look at multiple mortal probations and this doctrine that God revealed to me back in 2010, I think it was, or 2011, and then later on I read the Sermon at the Grove and it reconfirmed what God had showed me to begin with, Because I didn't know about this stuff until God revealed it to me. And then later on, he showed me in the, uh, the, the, the sermon of Joseph Smith where he talks about these things. But I didn't know about it before that. But it makes sense to me. And I can see how we can progress from world to world and how every experience is useful, every single one even the hard ones that are hard to accept. And Jesus said that these things I allowed you to go through for my wise purpose, that you may become the servant that I need you or want you to be. Anyway, continuing on. There is a major difference between the good two-thirds and the evil one-third spirits. The good ones are born innocent into mortality. The evil ones come to an earth without a body, but with plans to possess one. Reincarnationalists generally generally believe that all spirits will go through enough mortal lives to eventually reach the godhood status. According to the reincarnationalists, the good spirits get a longer period of rest before returning to earth, while the bad ones make a quick return. Irving Cooper theorized, quote, the length of the period between reincarnations or between incarnations has been found by actual investigation to range from five years in cases of the lowest human types to 2,300 years in cases of the most developed, who still find it necessary to incarnate For the acquirement of a few remaining lessons. Reincarnation by Cooper, page 46. The Apostle John A. Witzel commented on this strange system of repeated births on earth. So now these men are speculating. They don't have all the information and not even I have all the information. God told me when he revealed multiple mortal probations to me, he said that there's more to it, but he didn't reveal to me what that meant. Of course, I still have to learn. We all do. But I think Mormonism, Joseph Smith taught that truth. all truth is Mormonism, that we accept all truth. Well, the reincarnationalist has a perverted form of truth, which is coming down from antediluvian times it's like one of the most ancient belief systems the world has like even before there were jews there were there were people who believed in reincarnation and in fact even the jews believed in reincarnation in the different ways that they believe it but they did believe that it was a doctrine Anyway, we're on page 75. By reincarnation, the power of God seems also to be limited, but that's speculation. This is Johnny Witzel. He uses the same relatively few spirits over and over again, endlessly to accomplish whatever may, may be his purpose. He seems to be short of material and vague in his purposes. This is speculation. This drives me a little bit insane, but I'll continue reading it. This is out of out of harmony with the gospel, which teaches that there is a host of spirits waiting to take upon themselves mortal body, and that comes from Evidence and Re- uh, Reconciliation, page 363, and that was Johnny e. Whitso. So I have to say. The reason why it drives me a little bit nuts is because the Mormon, the modern day Mormon, believes that you can become exalted by simply living a good life in this life, checking the checklist off, paying your tithing, attending church, going to the temple, living a a relatively good life, and you can live that in 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 um in wealthy circumstances. And become an exalted God in one mortality, in one short period. Like, that seems arrogant to think that you can become a God by living such a short life when it it comes to eternity. Billions and billions and billions upon billions and billions and billions of years in, in eternity. In fact, endless years, but somehow, in the period of what, one like, according to modern Mormonism, my children who died at birth or shortly thereafter, they are uh, they're exalted. They're going to be exalted. They had no experiences on earth, but somehow they're exalted. But um, somebody like, I don't know, John Huntsman or that Marriott guy, like, oh, they were Mormons. They lived a good life. They donated probably hundreds of millions of dollars to the church, if not more. Oh, you know what? They're going to be exalted. Like, they didn't go through hardly any experience when it comes to all of the experiences that are had but somehow they're going to be exalted and you know John Huntsman's still alive I don't know if Mary is still alive but like I'm just using them as examples but then like oh hey if you're a Mormon and you're living in a hut in Africa because you don't have any money and they're telling you hey if you get, if you get 10 cents we need a penny of that and that's all you have you know if you can somehow earn $100 or whatever their currency is, you know, oh, we need a tenth of that. And, and like you do that and you go through hunger and, and all the things that you go through, like those are the experiences that you have and that you live through, but you'll be exalted. Don't worry about it. Like, there's such a disparity there between the different kinds of experiences. Like, my own life, like, I think I live a pretty good life. I have lived a very difficult life. But every experience that I've had is valuable. And every experience that uh, John Huntsman or Marriott or any of these rich people they have, they are valuable. And so is the welfare mom with three kids and no education. It's difficult, but these experiences are valuable so that we can learn and experience things to progress and to become like our Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. To know what it's like to go through all of these experiences Jesus Christ didn't just go through the Garden of Gethsemane and experience everything that we all experienced. No. He lived it on other worlds as we all have. And when the veil is open to us, we're going to realize how much experiences, how many experiences we've had. This is only only a small part of our experience coming and living in this in this one multi, or this one probation paradise for the spirit world has a very limited purpose and value for those believing that they must continually come to earth to gain more experience with the restoration of the gospel revelation once again came from heaven for man For 1800 years there had been a heavenly silence, but when Joseph Smith began to have revelations from God, it seemed to open up the floodgates to all kinds of revelation. Apparently a seal had been broken and the devil was given equal rights and was allowed to give as many revelations as the Lord. Our generation is characterized by a wide variety of spiritual mediums and revelators. Brigham Young gave an opportunity, I'm sorry, Brigham Young gave an important key as to why so many of these deceptive revelations were being given to men. And before I quote Brigham Young, I just want to say that Paul speaks to Timothy in the New Testament and he tells him to test the spirits for thereby many false prophets have gone forth. And what he means by that is that there are spirits that want to give you revelation. And just because you receive a revelation or an inspiration in your mind doesn't mean it comes from God. You have to test the spirits. That's why I I lean so heavily heavily upon telling people that they need to to study it out to the best of their ability and come to a conclusion about what they believe what is right that they should be like when james or well we'll just say james um the book of james chapter one verse five if you lack wisdom ask god but let him ask in faith not wavering What that means is that we have to be firm, that we've studied it out to the best of our ability, and we've come to a conclusion. Now, as we come to the conclusion, we can ask God for inspiration and revelation to get to that point. But we have to do our part to study these things out, and God will give it to us when we're ready to receive it. That this is on his timetable, not ours. And that as we come to a firm conclusion and we're not tossed about by every wind of doctrine and every wave that comes along, we go to the Father and we ask him in the name of Jesus Christ, if the revelation or the thought or the belief that we have is correct, based upon our study and based upon the inspiration and revelation that we're receiving, and we ask him if it's correct, and we ask for a confirmation of the Spirit. And if what we believe is correct, the spirit, will, the spirit will increase. We will have a burning in the bosom. We will have the, uh, the gifts of the Holy Ghost or the evidence of the Holy Ghost in our lives where peace and joy and love and these type of feelings come along. When Jesus Christ was resurrected and he walked with his disciples and they knew, they did not know that it was Jesus when they were walking on the road to Emmaus. When they finally realized that this was Jesus that they were talking to and he disappeared from among them, those two two disciples, one of the disciples looked at the other and said, did not our hearts burn within us? Because Jesus Christ was speaking truth to them and the spirit was testifying to the truth that was being spoken. And it was burning within them. Now, for myself, when I receive a burning in the bosom, sometimes it is just that I receive this caloric heat filled with peace and joy and love, and I really feel it in my upper extremities. But there's been times when it might, like the Holy Spirit, like when I asked God in the name of Jesus Christ if Joseph Smith was a true prophet back in the the fall uh, or early winter of 1996... Like the Holy Spirit flowed through me like hot oil from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And I could not reject the witness of God that I was given at that time. So sometimes it doesn't happen that, uh, you know, most of the time it doesn't happen that extreme. but, But there are evidences of the confirmation of the Holy Spirit. Because God speaks to our mind through our thoughts and through revelation. Sometimes it's audible uh, and I'll hear revelation out loud and sometimes more more often than not it's within my mind God is speaking to me. Sometimes I'm taken up in a vision. Sometimes it's a dream that God reveals to me. Sometimes I'm taken up in the flesh. Well that's only happened once when I when I saw the Father and the Son face to face in 2003. But God speaks to us in different ways, and he wants us to test the revelations that we're receiving in our mind. Because Satan has the ability, and his spirits have the ability to whisper thoughts into your mind. But they do not have the ability to to replicate the influence of the Holy Ghost. But there is something called emotionalism too, where people use emotionalism to try to make you think that you felt the Holy Ghost. You know, one of the uh, things that drove me nuts about Thomas Monson is he would give you the the cookies and the widow stories all the time, and you'd think, oh, he's such a great grandpa. Oh, he, you know, because he's an old man, and like he would use these stories, and Henry B. Iring uses them too he'll use these they will use these stories to get you to to jerk your tears and they will cry on the stand and get everybody to think that they're feeling the spirit and maybe maybe the spirit will testify to some of the truth that they say but more often than not it's just an emotional man, manipulation so a lot of people who have come out of mormonism or they're not coming out of mormonism they're just coming out of churchianity you know they think they think oh well Joseph Smith is true but but these guys aren't you know uh, they will they will uh, reference all the times that they can see where they were ma- emotionally manipulated but God does speak to our minds and to our hearts according to the revelation I think it's D&C uh, chapter eight or nine or section eight or section nine I always get those two mixed up. But God says he speaks to our mind and to our heart, and he does. He speaks to our mind by speaking to our mind, and he speaks to our heart by confirmation of the Holy Spirit. And people who do not have the ability to, well, nobody has the ability to give you a confirmation of the Spirit, but people who want you to think that they're prophets and apostles. Even when they aren't, they'll use emotional manipulation to get you to think you're filling the spirit. Now, you might be filling the spirit because they still speak truth. See, it's difficult to go through these things and to to weed them out. But that is the work of somebody who is going towards progression to become like God. This isn't some easy path that he's given us that we can just become like he is because we follow the crowd we have to work it out my grandpa always told me that this plan is a do-it-yourself program other people can teach you all that they know but you have to get a witness for yourself it's a do-it-yourself program you cannot just write on the coattails of someone else if you think that you can you will be damned I promise you, you will be damned if you try to ride on the coattails of others without getting personal revelation and having a personal relationship with God for yourself. Anyway, continuing with this quote from Brigham Young. It was told you here that Brother Joseph warned the elders of Israel against false spirits it was revealed to me that if the people did not receive the spirit of revelation that god had sent for the salvation of the world they would receive false spirits and would have revelation men would have revelation women would have revelation the priest at the pulpit and the deacon under the pulpit would have revelation and the people would have revelation enough to damn the whole nation and the nations of them unless they would hearken to the voice of God it was not only revelation to Joseph but to your humble servant that false spirits would be prevalent and as common among the inhabitants of the earth as we now see them. Brigham Young Journal of Discourses volume 13 pages 280 and 281 we're on page 76 if you're reading along and we're only 27% through this reading. This cannot be emphasized too strongly as the reason why many today are experiencing revelations when the Lord himself seems to be rather silent at, at this time. And the reason why God is silent and not giving us more revelations. Like, there's no more thus at the Lord revelations. The reason for that is because of the rejection of the church in Nauvoo, which has talked about in D&C section 124, and if you want to know about that, uh, go follow my uh, TikTok. Uh, my TikTok is Red Pill Mormon, and if you look down through my videos, you're gonna see the rejection of the church in Nauvoo, part one and part two. Uh, I won't do it today, but I go into greater detail about why I say what I say about that. And you can go find that there. Um, Jesus Christ said that he would reject the church if they didn't do as he said. And just, I won't get into the details, because the video is there for you to go watch. But all the things that Jesus said would happen if they were obedient in building that temple in Nauvoo, all of those things that he said would happen didn't happen. But all of the things which Jesus said would happen if they were rejected as a church with their dead, that did happen. So go check out that video if you're interested. But uh, I'm just saying that the church was rejected in Nauvoo. And Joseph, uh, Brigham Young led a re- rejected church. And, like, you don't have a lot of revelation after Brigham Young took over. After the uh, Lord's anointed Joseph Smith, who was the only one who was the Lord's anointed at that time, Brigham Young wasn't, John Taylor wasn't, Wilfred Woodruff wasn't, Lorenzo Snow wasn't, Joseph F. Smith wasn't, Hebert J. Grant wasn't, George Albert Smith wasn't. up on the list go up the list none of them was the lord's anointed only joseph smith and none of them received revelation like joseph smith did because the church is in a state of apostasy that's why jesus christ said in dnc section 85 that he would send one mighty and strong to set the house of god in order implying that it would get out of order which it has. That's why there has to be a reformation in the restoration. And that is what's going on right now. Continuing on, perhaps an example of how prevalent and common they may be is described by Elizabeth Clare, prophet. As I was walking down the street in Santa Barbara one autumn day in 1974, I sensed a presence and found myself accompanied by none other than Gabriel himself. Oh, that's nice. I've had the angel Mark, or, um, Michael, the archangel. Well, at least he thought he was, right? Uh, they visit me. But let's see what, uh. This Claire Prophet woman, that's her last name, by the way. I don't know if that's an assumed name or whatever, but anyway. So apparently the Archangel Gabriel uh, was with this person. Anyway, he graciously escorted me into a cafe, and as I sipped a cup of of tea and wrote his words on a napkin, he dictated to me the program for a seminar he directed me to hold in san francisco and called it portals of purity i am always impressed at their naturalness and dar- and darling okay anyway that's mysteries of the holy grail by uh claire elizabeth claire prophet or prophet whatever her name is uh fortunately the prophet joseph smith has explained the importance of discerning true and false spirits, which often seems very similar. Quote, A man must have the discerning of spirits before he can drag into daylight this hellish influence and unfold it unto the world in all its soul-destroying, diabolical, and horrid colors. For nothing is a greater injury to the children of men then to be under the influence of a false spirit when they think they have the spirit of God. Thousands have felt the influence of this of its terrible power and baneful effects. Long pilgrimages have been undertaken. Penances endured and pain, misery and ruin have followed in their train. Nations have been convulsed, kingdoms overthrown, provinces laid waste, and blood and carnage and desolation are the habiliments in which it it has been clothed. As we have noticed before, the great difficulty lies in the ignorance of the the nature of spirits of the laws by which they are governed and the signs by which they may ha- they may be known. It requires the spirit of God to know the things of God and the spirit of the devil can only be unmasked through that medium. We're on page 77, by the way. The world always mistook false prophets for true ones and those that were sent of God, they considered to be false prophets. Teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith Pages 205 and 206. Dr. Ivan Stevenson, a parapsychologist, has um, delved into the possibilities of reincarnation through the spiritual force and experiences of some individuals. Author of the book Telepathic Impressions, he explains that people have had the visual images of things happen a considerable distance away. In another book called Xenoglossy, he relates cases in which a person can speak a language that he has not previously learned by any normal methods. Also, Dr. Stevenson describes instances where a woman under hypnosis will suddenly speak in a man's voice and even give the name of a man speaking. He mentions people who suddenly write in the handwriting of someone who is dead or in some foreign or dead language, which is beyond the experience or learning of that individual. One of his studies includes cryptomnesia, which is the ability of an individual to remember an unknown person or circumstance, which later proved to be an actual person or place. Dr. Stevenson also wrote the book 20 Cases Suggestive of Reincarnation in which he gives some interesting situation in support of reincarnation. For example, he describes the case of Thomas and Guilford, which is a good example of apparent possession by spirits. Thomas became compelled to take up painting and painted certain scenes that came to his mind. A number of scenes were closely identified to those already painted by Guilford. Thomas said, during the time I was sketching, I remember having the impression that I was Mr. Guilford himself. And I would tell my wife before starting out that Mr. Guilford wanted to go sketch something. I wanted to go sketching. That's uh, page 374 of that book and we're on page 78 at uh, 47% through the reading for today. The problem in dealing with all these spirits is the difficulty of distinguishing one from the other. How does one detect an evil spirit or a good spirit when they both ha- can reveal, manifest, <clears throat> and perform acts which so closely resemble each other? Brigham Young clarified, quote, There are many elders in this house who, if, if I had the power to memorize that vase and make it dance on the table, would say it was done by the power of God could tell whether it was done by the power of God or the power of the devil no person unless he had the revelations of Jesus Christ within him I suppose you are ready to ask Brother Brigham if he thinks the power of the devil could make the vase dance yes and could take it up and carry it out the door just as easy as to turn up a table and move it here or there or to cause a rap, 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 or to bake and pass around pancakes, or to get a hold of a person's hand and make, make him write in every style you can think of, imitating George Washington's, Benjamin Franklin's, Joseph Smith's, and others' autographs. Can you tell whether it is by the power of God or the power of the devil? No, unless you have the revelations of Jesus Christ. And quote, Journal of Discourses, Volume 3, page 157. I would disagree with that. Uh, if you have the revelations of Jesus Christ, that's one thing, but if you have the power of discernment and the confirmation of the Holy Spirit, that is quite something else. Um, The confirmation of the Spirit is the most important way to tell what the correct interpretation of Scripture is, or at least to get a confirmation of what the truth is, after you've studied it out out to the best of your ability. So, there have been many times when I have received, thus saith the Lord revelations from God, and there's been times when the devil has tried to give me a thus saith the Lord revelation and I'll receive both and then I will take it to get confirmation from the spirit, even the things that I write down that are received from, this, from a spirit <clears throat> and I will get confirmation before I'll issue that revelation or share it. Um, I had a friend many years ago who received a translation from a seer stone. And right away I could tell through the spirit of discernment that it was from a bad source. And I told him, and I I was telling him and teaching him how to uh, get confirmation of the spirit. And he said, well, I'm just going to put it out there so that people who receive it can discern for themselves and I said then you'll become a prophet of the devil and uh, you know we have the differences between true prophets false prophets but we also have a classification of a fallen prophet and this individual who received this specific translation through the seer stone became a fallen prophet. And is completely in delusion at this time in a mental institution at the state, uh, I don't know what they call it, the prison at Bluffdale, Utah. uh, Because of some things that he did after he fell because he was following a bad spirit and would not get confirmation of the spirit that what he was receiving was from God. And uh, he's in prison now and he's going to be there well, who knows how long he'll be there, but I think his prison sentence was like 26 years. You know, and he still maintains the delusion that he had, and I tried to save him by teaching him the correct way to receive a confirmation of the spirit, but he, in his pride, would not listen. And now he's reaping the whirlwind of following false spirits and becoming a fallen prophet. And it's sad, That he made the decision that he made. And a lot of people make the decision to believe things that are not true. Um, And and it's sad because it stops your progression. When you receive information from a, a bad source, a bad spirit, from the wrong side. And then you share that information, you're helping lead others into delusion. And we know in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, all they who received the lie received strong delusion that they all might be damned because they did not love the truth. They didn't love the truth enough to go to God to get confirmation of the Spirit. Anyway, continuing on with this reading, we're at 54%. From an article entitled Spiritual Manifestations, there was included a statement from New York Judge Edmonds who had spent years investigating reports of spiritual powers. The New York Herald, August 7, 1853, reported, quote, "...in the meantime, another feature attracted my attention, and that was physical manifestations, as they are termed. Thus I have known a pine table with four legs lifted bodily up from the floor in the center of a circle of six or eight persons." turned upside down and laid upon the top at our feet, then lifted up over our our heads and put leaning against the back of the sofa on which we sat. I have known that the same table to be tilted up on two legs, its top at an angle with the floor of 45 degrees, then it neither fell over of itself nor could any person present present put it back on four legs or on page 79 i've known a dinner and dinner bell taken from a high shelf in the closet rung over the the heads of four or five persons in that closet then rung around the room over the heads of 12 or 15 persons in the back of parlor and then borne through the folding doors to the farther end of the front parlor and they are dropped on the floor. I have frequently known persons pulled about with a force which was impossible for them to resist, and once, when all my own strength was added in vain to that of one thus affected, I have known a mahogany chair thrown on its side and moved swiftly back and forth on the floor, no one touching it through a room where there was at least a dozen people sitting, yet no one was touched, and it was repeatedly stopped within a few inches of me when it was coming with a violence which I, if not arrested, must have broken my legs. This is not a tithe, nay, not a hundredth part of what I have witnessed of the same character, but it is enough to show me the general nature of what was before me. <clears throat> quote. And that's from the church publication, the Millennial Star, Volume 15, pages 653 and 654. And so I got to talk about some of my own little personal experiences. Um, I've always had paranormal activity happening in my life ever since before I remember My mom used to tell me about demonic activity happening in our home when I was an infant. Uh, The first time I saw Satan, I was five years old. And I remember we were living in a little town, or a little house in North Salt Lake, just off the interstate of I-15, kind of by the refineries. And that house is still there. Every time I go past it, I look over and see it. And my bedroom was on the east side of the house. And I remember one Saturday morning, I woke up and I was going to go watch the Flintstones because that was like what I did on Saturday mornings as a five-year-old. And I remember I didn't have any curtains or blinds on my windows on the east side of the house. And the sun was shining up the room and it woke me up on Saturday morning. And I looked and my mommy would usually leave the, the hood over this, uh, the stove top on, the light on, kind of like a nightlight for me. And I remember I could look through and see the, sto- the stove and the oven from my bed. But this particular morning, there was a man standing in my door who was completely black with no features, but I could see the silhouette of him. It was like a man wearing a cape and a top hat, uh, but I could not see through him at all, but he had no features either. It was like uh, a shadow that was so dense. And at the time I didn't know who he was, but later on I learned who he was because I saw him many times in my life. And in fact, anywhere I moved to, he would follow me. And um, like, I I don't know how to say this. The the Poltergeist movies where that little girl was followed around by Kane from one movie to the next, and I think there were three of them. And by the way, I don't look at that movie as a, a horror movie. I look at it as a love story of a fa- family trying to protect their daughter which kind of breaks my heart because I was passed around so much because these type of things would happen around me as a child. But anyway, so, um, that was the first. And I called, I thought, like, you know, this is back in the, let me think, 82. I think it would have been 82. And maybe 83. Anyway, but, um... All I could think of uh, to tell my mom was that it was Darth Vader. (laughs) Because I love Star Wars and Darth Vader was scary. And this man who stood in the doorway was pure black. And he seemed to have a cape on over his shoulders and down so that I could not see his legs. It was just pure blackness. And... Uh, Later on, I learned that this was, in fact, Satan that was watching me and uh, causing havoc in my life from a young age. And later on in life, because of the paranormal activities that I had witnessed growing up, I wanted to understand those things better. So I got into witchcraft and reading about, like, Religious stuff, too, but I would read all kinds of, like, occult books and stuff like that. And I saw the power of Satan manifest where he moved things around and he levitated things and, like, spells that were cast worked. And, like, there was a very real, um, I don't know, real experiences that I personally witnessed. And I think that it helped me to understand later on, who I was dealing with. And when I learned about Satan's priesthood in the temple endowment, I began to understand just how powerful his priesthood really is on the side of darkness, where the priesthood of God is on the side of light. Anyway, um, continuing on with this reading, if the principle of multiple mortal births is a false doctrine then evil spirits will do all they can to promote it. Brigham Young warned that discernment was vital in detecting the differences between good and bad spirits and revelations. Quote, I will ask, is there any revelation in the world? Yes, plenty of it. We are accursed of being nothing more or nor less than a people possessing what they have termed the higher order of spiritualism. Whenever I see this in print or hear it spoken, yes, you are right, I say. Yes, we belong to that higher order of spiritualism. Our revelations are from above and yours are from beneath. This is the difference. We receive revelation from heaven. You receive revelations from every foul spirit that has departed this life and gone out of the bodies of mobbers, murderers, highwaymen, drunkards, thieves, liars, and every kind of debauched character whose spirits are floating around here and searching and seeking whom they can destroy. For they are the servants of the devil, and they are permitted to come now and to reveal to the people. Journal of Discourses, Volume 13, pages 200 and, uh, well, Page 281, and we're on page 80. For those of you following along in the book, we're at 70% through the reading for today. Many cases of revelation or manifestations have been discovered to be a form of ent- entertainment or were fraudulently reported to get gain some incidences defy normal physical or psychological explanations and so and so extrasensory perception is the automatic conclusion meaning that information is perceived from a source beyond our normal, normal physical world after an exhaustive study into the reincarnation the church of Her- Her- Herbert W Armstrong who I really like <laughs> Summarized their findings, quote, although the Bible shows that human beings are not reincarnated, it also shows that lying spirits or demons have been around since a long or long before man. They remember what took place in the past when the person's mind becomes receptive to suggestion. Such as may occur under hypnosis, it is possible for a spirit to recite historically veribi- verifiable information through the human. The Bible reveals that there are, are even occasions where it is possible for a fallen spirit to take over or possess a human, a willing human mind. End quote. The Spirit World, published by the Worldwide Church of God or Herbert W. Armstrong, page uh, 23. I I also wanted to say that when God begins to reveal and to open your mind to receiving revelations and visions and uh, manifestations of the Spirit, the same door that is opened for those things to happen also invites those things to happen for the false spirits. And a true prophet has to be very aware of how to determine or discern what is from God and what is from the devil. Satan has tried to give me so many revelations that at times, um, in the past, when I began to receive the revelations, I was just bombarded by revelations, mostly from Him, and how I learned to discern what was from God and what was from Him, is I would just believe every single thing, unless it was so preposterous I couldn't believe it, but mostly every single thing that was was, uh, sent my way by revelation. But I would go to God every single time and tell him that I believed as a little ch- child that these things were true. And I would ask for a confirmation of the Spirit. And more often than not, the Spirit of God would withdraw from me. And I could physically, spiritually, and mentally discern the withdrawal of the Spirit, which, which I don't like. Um, having the Spirit of God is like my greatest addiction. I love it. I I am used to it and when the spirit withdraws from me I can notice that right away. And whenever I'd receive these false revelations I would go as as a believing child because the scriptures say that we should be believing as little child, a little child. But what does a little child do? They go to their parents and they ask them what the truth is. And my father in heaven is my father in heaven. He is my father. He is our Father, and He wants to speak to us, but we, turn to, we have to turn to Him in order for that to happen. So I, I would go, and I would present the revelation, and I would I'd tell Him I believe it, and I want a confirmation of the Spirit that it's true, and the Spirit withdraws, and then I repent for believing in the false doctrine taught to me by the devil. Now, I didn't realize this was going to happen, but because I did that so much, Satan stopped sending me, I mean, every once in a while, I'll get another revelation from him, or he'll try to tell me something, but I got so good at going and taking everything to God and getting confirmation of the Spirit that it was, his efforts were only helping me to grow stronger in the Spirit, to be a better uh, prophet, and we can all be prophets, in fact, we should all be prophets. But it helped me to grow closer to God. So Satan stopped using that tactic to try to uh, lead me astray with false revelations. So but on the on the other hand, on the flip side, I guess, when I did receive a revelation from God, and I felt that it was from God, I would believe it, and I would take it to God and and ask for confirmation. And when it was from him, then the spirit would increase and uh, there would be a burning in the bosom and an increase in the fruits of the spirit which is talked about in galatians 5 22 and 23 and i could know that the thing i believed was true and if the thing i believed was true but i was misinterpreting it in a way sometimes the spirit would not manifest either way i would not have the buffetings of satan and I would not have a confirmation of the spirit. And I would at then at that time <clears throat> I would ask God, well, what am I getting wrong here? What is what am I misinterpreting? Because you can do that; it's a communication thing. And God would reword how He was trying to reveal something to me. And then I would take that back to Him, and I would say, This is what I think that You're saying to me. Is this correct? And more more often than not, it would only take um, well once, a lot of times, but like sometimes two or three times, and I would get the revelation correct in my mind, and the spirit would be confirmed. You know, the confirmation of the spirit would be confirmed, and I would know that the revelation was from God. So, it's. I think it's one of the most important things to. Understand how to discern revelations when they come to you because we all receive them. More often, we will receive them from false spirits who are not sent from God. But God does speak to us as well, especially when the veil is open for these things to happen. Satan's tried to fool me, um, coming to me as an angel of light. Um, and I don't know how people can be so fooled by that because when I saw Satan trying to do those type of things where he came appearing as an messenger of God and as an angel of light like I could feel the darkness even though he was trying to portray himself as light but other times when I've had other spiritual manifestations I could feel the spirit of God so I don't know how he fools people and maybe I'm just special because I have that discernment but um, he's tried a number of ways to, to get me off track by using other people to attack me, which is his main method now. Um, or confusing me by trying to bombard me with revelations that come from the darkness rather than the light. Anyway, continuing on. The unreliability of using hypnosis to confirm past events or previous lives has been recently substantiated. Quote, Numerous scholarly studies have verified the danger of using hypnotism as a tool for reconstructing memories, either memories of this life or memories of a presumed previous incarnation. The unreliability of such hypnotically derived memories is sufficiently great that the um, AMA, which stands for American Medical Association, has indicated that previously hypnotized witnesses should not give testimony in court concerning the matter about which they have been hypnotized. One of the reasons hypnotic subjects are not reliable per purveyors of historical facts is because the inclination to confabulate or make up information and to draw inferences to fill in missing information is apparently greater in hypnosis as a consequence can render the memory reports of hypnotized individuals deceptively more believable than normal recall. This enhanced believability of the hypnotized subject can confuse even the the therapist. In addition to confabulating information under hypnosis, there is evidence that other exogenous sources such as books, movies, or special childhood and adult relationships may provide material that can be assimilated in a dissociated state, and later recalled under hypnosis as original material believed by the subject to be a personal experience. And that comes from Glimpses of Eternity by A. Arvin Gibson, 1992, Horizon Publishing Company, uh, page 305. Examples of hypnotic cases have frequently been cited as proof of reincarnation. However, it remains a very mystical and highly questionable source. As the following example shows, numerous publicized cases of claimed reincarnation have resulted from the use of hypnotism on people who regressed, to former lives, in some cases even speaking in a foreign tongue or describing detailed experiences in a different era and culture. The most publicized event in the United States was that of Bridie Murphy in 1952. Her story was essentially discounted in subsequent investigations. A similar but more complex case occurred in England in 1976. It was the case of Jane Evans, and it was featured on BBC television. Upon being hypnotized, the 30 year old housewife regressed into six previous existences and regressed back to Roman times. She recalled a life of Livonia, wife of a tutor to the family of, Ro- of a Roman legate. Um, Constantinius in the 4th century AD. Um, So the Tudors were actually royalty back then. Uh, They actually went up through Rome and then into uh, England um, after the fall of the Roman Republic and they became a great um, house of royalty which is interesting, but anyway, continuing on, Jane knew substantial substantial details of each life, but the more puzzling was her Roman experience. She gave details of in- individuals who could be and were checked historically for accuracy. She also named other Roman citizens who could not be found in historic documents of the period, But it was assumed that these were lesser-known figures who didn't make the history books. And We're on page 82, if you're reading along, and we're at 91%. And I have a little story to tell after uh, I finish this chapter, but we'll get to that point. It's about reincarnation. One of those checking on historic accuracy of Jane's story was Melvin Harris, a compulsive browser in second-hand bookstores. He stum- stumbled upon Louis D. Wool's historical novel, The Living Wood, published in 1947. The novel was devoted to the lives of Constantine, Constantinus, and Helena, who lived in the 4th century Rome. Moreover, Harris found the names of fictitious individuals from Jane, whom Jane had named as being among her acquaintances in her previous life. Jane's story collapsed after these and other discoveries. It appeared that she had read and forgotten the novel some years before. It is interesting that under hypnosis, she could dra- withdraw from her subconscious memories the details of the story. And that comes from the same book that we quoted Lost on pages 303 and 304. If deceiving spirits have such power over mortals, it is natural that they would want to use various means of revelation to promote their doctrines and principles such as reincarnation. It should be noted that many of those groups, agencies, and individuals who believe in reincarnation also believe in and testify of receiving revelation. In many statements, a publication and publications by reincarnationalists they claim to have been influenced or dictated to by the spirit of some dead master or Mahatama, or Mahatama, I guess, who has given them visions, dreams, and revelations to do and teach specific things that would promote a belief in reincarnation. How important it is then to have the gift of discernment in detecting the source of such spirits and spiritual manifestations. So that's the end of chapter 9. Uh, when we come back on next time, we'll be starting on page 83, which is chapter 10, The Blessing of Mortality. So what I wanted to talk about was that... Um, so I study lots of things on, not just the theology. I'll study... All kinds of stuff out. History, constitution, law, medicine. Like, I am interested in learning everything I can get my hands on. And uh, I was going through uh, a story of a kid who was very interested in a specific kind of airplane. And I've said the story in the past. I'm not going to bore you with it again. If you don't know, then maybe you'll learn by listening to my past programs, but this kid had so many details and he died in an airplane crash, according to him. And uh, and the people he knew on this aircraft carrier back in World War II, they were still alive and his parents took him to meet these these older men <clears throat> who have all since passed on. But at the time, they were still having reunions. They were the... The aircraft, um, the aircraft carrier crew, and I think it was the pilots that he knew, but he knew them by by face. He knew what their names were. He remembered things about his life and about the lives the lives of these other men that were on, you know, on the same aircraft carrier. And it was very, very, very good evidence for reincarnation. And I took it to God like I do. And believing, you know, hey, this is really good evidence for reincarnation. Is it true? Is this kid, like, really the the spirit of this man who died before in this in World War II, come back to life? And God told me, no. This was a menace- He was a ministering spirit to this man who died, and he remembers these circumstances because he was there and he witnessed to them. But he is not that man. He is not a reincarnation. And he told me um he told me that there was at that time he told me there was more to it. And I continued to study and study and then God eventually revealed to me the doctrine of eternal lives and multiple mortal probations. But um I just thought it was interesting because like way before we come into mortality, we can be Uh, ministering spirits to help people in their lives and we may know them in the spirit world and that's why we're going with them and doing things with them and trying to help them be directed in them their mortality but we are not that individual and when we have these past life regressions we're just remembering how we helped the individual that's why this kid knew the names of these people. That's why he knew uh, the, the stuff about the airplanes and all of the stuff that he knew. So, anyway, um, I guess that's the, the, the end of the theological discussion. Now I'm going to tell you about what's going on in my life. So, I worked for five days straight. Um... I was training for three of those days, and then I was driving my own truck and not having anybody with me. And so I worked for five days, which was about, well, it was over 70 hours, I don't know how many hours it was, and that's not including commute time or any of that. Um, I get 10 hours off, but I have uh, a 40-minute drive one way from work to where I live and then 40 minutes back which all is included in that 10 hours because I'm driving my personal vehicle. So I get home and I shower and I go to bed and I wake up after about six hours and I get showered and I get all my food ready and I pack all my junk that I need to go back to work with and then I go back to work and then I spend 14 to 16 hours at work. Well, only 16 the one, to- one day because I the snow. Oh my gosh, it got bad. I had to chain up. In fact, I had to chain up both days that I drove by myself. I was soaking wet, even though I have overalls, which are supposedly waterproof, but they're only waterproof to a point. Anyway, but... um, And I was worn out from working three days before that. So what I do is I drive over a mountain pass which is over ninety one hundred feet called Indian Pass in Utah on Highway 191 from Helper to Duchesne and back from from Duchesne to Helper. I go to Roosevelt to pick up oil and I take usually around 137 to 140 barrels of oil and I'll take it over the mountain. I'll take it to Wellington, Utah, which is past Price, Utah, to the east, southeast. Anyway, so that's what I've been doing all week. And I've been, I have been—I got really dirty. <laughs> um, and in fact, this is my second day off. I get four days off in a row. But I only take three because I'm trying to get bills paid. And I'm trying to get my the rest of my training in because I'm still in training technically, even though I'm driving my own truck. I have three million miles of driving under my belt. Uh, with the exception of my mission, I have been driving for 27 years. So I don't need training for that. Uh, anyway, the I had a sleeper truck, which was a Peterbilt that I lived in. Um, well. I only stayed in it once, and it was because that particular day um, I had gotten up and gotten to the yard at 5.45 a.m., and things needed to be fixed on my truck before I could leave. So it was in the shop until 9, and then I did my pre-trip and pulled out of the yard at 9 o'clock, and I drove until 12.30, I think. It was 12:30 at night so 9 a.m. to 12 30 at night so it was a really long day and um, that particular day it was still snowing really bad and I was exhausted so I slept in my truck and I did not have clothes a change of clothes I did not have a blanket or a pillow I put my one of my coats because I carry multiple co- coats and like I carry a bunch of different gloves and just a bunch of different stuff because the job I'm doing is actually really difficult, but it pays well, but it's difficult. Anyway, that particular day, I put my coat out on this, the bed in this truck and I used my seat cushion for a pillow and I just slept. And uh, wasn't very good sleep, and then I drove the next day. Luckily, my three-year-old is babysat in Helper, Utah, so my wife brings him over. And then when she found out that I didn't make a home, when she woke up that morning, she came. Uh, she saw my text. I told, I texted her and just said, "Hey, I'm staying on the truck to sleep because I'm too tired and it's snowing." So anyway. Um, She brought me some food and my medicine that I take, all of my my, uh, cinnamon and potassium and my uh, curcumin, I guess. I can't remember what it's called. I I take a bunch of different things to help out with with my body, you know, trying to be healthy here. And um, luckily she was able to bring me a bunch of stuff that I would have, had if I would have just gone home. So anyway, this is the second straight week in a row where I've worked a ridiculous amount of hours. And uh, this one was only five days. The last one was seven days. And then, uh, who knows, it's supposed to be four on, four off. And I usually don't take the full four, and I usually work more than I have to uh, because I am trying to pay for bills that... I'm behind on. So anyway, um, that's also why I don't have any time to do these radio programs on the days when I work. Uh, that's why we've gone to a poor, uh, podcast format. Just, I just don't have time. I almost don't have time to eat. I am so busy all the time. Um, I just... But you know, it's kind of cool. There's a... In the truck, there's a refrigerator so I can keep my drinks cold. So I've got cold drinks, you know, which is nice uh, for driving around as much as I do. So but, uh, you know, things will get better as I learn to do this job more and that I'm assigned to a truck and I can bring um, blankets and and pillows and uh, changes of clothing And there's even a shower in the shop, which is kind of cold and it's not really clean, but I've got flip-flops. So, (laughs) well, I got to do what I got to do, right? Um, Because sometimes I need the extra sleep. Six hours is not enough. And I'm supposed to be back in 10... And with a 40-minute commute one way and a 40-minute commute the other way, it just eats into my sleep time, especially when um, I have to get my stuff ready to go to work. And I'll make breakfast before I leave, and um, you know, I'll just—I have to do certain things before I leave, and then I get back, and it's. 10 hours later, and I'm just running and running and running. So it's supposed to be, like I said, four days on and four days off. And, um, well, after training, hopefully that's the way it'll be. So, But they have a hard time keeping drivers on this run because it is such a difficult job. But it pays very well. Uh, Not as much as I used to make in the oil fields back in the day because I used to make the same amount I make the same amount I made then I make now but inflation right so I made more money technically back then than I do now but it's the best paying thing that I can find and you know what I kind of like the work I like feeling like I'm accomplished that I can still do hard work Um, you know I just I don't know I like it for some reason it's not even about the money although the money's nice um, part of the reason I took this job is because when I was doing the belly dumps driving coal trucks I was working six days a week also another thing that's kind of nice for those of you who are interested if you're still listening um, the the semi trucks that have a shorter wheelbase meaning the steer tires and the rear drive tire tires um, the longer they are the smoother the ride well cold trucks have short wheelbases and these trucks that I'm driving now have longer wheelbases and they have tag axles which are the axles that drop down to assist in carrying weight because the loads that I'm carrying are I can gross at about 106,000 pounds instead of 129 but most trucks are uh, 80,000 pounds so I'm way over what most trucks do And the the grades are steeper because most trucks don't travel these routes that I'm on when they don't go in the oil fields. But with the longer wheelbase, it's actually not, it's so much more comfortable driving these trucks. Like even though I'm working, physically working and driving and all the things I'm doing, my body might be tired because of just the work, but I'm not suffering so much with the vibrations and my spinal problems about a month ago maybe it's been longer um i had an mri done and i found out i have two bulge discs in my neck that comes from an accident back in 2003 or 2004 And one bulge disc in my back, which comes from an accident back in 2001 where I got hit. So I never caused the accidents, but I suffer from them. Anyway, but with the coal trucks, like, it really exacerbated the problems I was having. But now that I'm driving these uh, tanker, hazmat crude tankers, um, since the wheelbase is longer... uh, It's actually a lot smoother. So even though this is a way more dangerous job, um, I'm not completely worn out by doing it. So anyway, that's the program for today. I'm going to start working on getting the second one done for this week, which will be Chapter 10, Many Blessings of Mortality. And uh, I just want to thank everyone for sticking with me through everything and listening to these podcasts and learning with me and thank you for everything that you do even if what you do is just listen so i see the stats and i see how many people listen and where they listen from all around the world and that makes me feel like i can keep going on even though i don't receive any kind of uh, monetary for doing these things. Um, I am happy that people are learning, and that's my goal. So, all right, well, take care, everyone. God bless. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.